You are listening to the Catholic Thinkers Podcast, a free treasury of instruction in the Catholic intellectual tradition. If you enjoy this lecture, please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate. This course is from our International Catholic University Classics Collection, originally recorded between 1995 and 2005. In the two preceding lectures, we've tried to point out why theology, which is faith-seeking understanding, needs to be able to use the whole gamut of modern rational knowledge if it's going to fulfill its task of interpreting theology to our culture. In the second of the lectures, I emphasized that we have to make a choice between three theories of where we get at rational truth. One is a materialist theory, which says that all of our knowledge comes from our senses, and our senses are simply the operation of our central nervous system, our brain. The second is a spiritualist view, which says that somehow deep within us is the truth. And by introspection, looking within, coming to know ourself from within, we arrive at truth. I pointed out that those occurred in Greek philosophy, the materialists were the Epicureans and the Stoics, and the spiritualists were the Platonists, and that that is a bridge to Eastern thought, the thought of India and China. But then I pointed out that there was a third mediating type of epistemology, which agreed with the materialists that all of our knowledge comes from our senses, but agreed with the spiritualists in saying that we also have a spiritual ability which transcends the material, which we call an intelligence. An intelligence has the power to separate out of the confused data of the senses those things that are essential for some particular type of knowledge. Now, in this lecture, I want to say a little bit about modern philosophy and how it has developed with respect to these three types of epistemology. Modern philosophy began with René Descartes, whose philosophy, Cartesianism, has influenced all subsequent philosophy and has entered deeply into our culture. Descartes was troubled because with the rise of modern science, and he was a scientist, and particularly a great mathematician, it seemed like there was a growing gap between religion and science, and there was an attack on reason. People began to doubt again that reason was possible. Some of them said, well, we have faith, we can rely on the Christian faith, but reason is a very shaky business. This was stimulated, of course, by the fact that 
That was the time of religious conflict. The religious wars between Catholics and Protestants and among the Protestant sects was beginning. And it shook people's sense of certitude. Consequently, Descartes looked for a way to be more certain about truth. And he found it by going back to spiritualism. Or, to put it another way, his own way of reconciling spiritualism with materialism. And this is commonly called the turn to the subject. A modern philosophy is characterized by this turn to the subject. Now, by subject here is meant the thinker. By object is meant the world of the senses. And so what Descartes is primarily saying is that we must, for the moment, turn away from the world of the object, the world of the senses, to the interior truth of the thinker. Well, that is exactly the epistemology of Plato, but with a difference. Plato would never have accepted the notion of a turn to the subject. He thought that by looking within, we arrive at the knowledge of the world of ideas, the spiritual world, which is something just as objective, or really more objective, than the world of the senses. Descartes had a different idea. He did not think, he believed with Plato that we have innate ideas. But for him, the innate ideas was our own thought processes, not some object which is, as it were, within us, but our thinking about it, our thought processes, which are subjective, our thought processes going on in our consciousness became central for Descartes. And he said, only by looking at that can we arrive at certitude. Once we look inside of ourselves and see that we are thinking and that we are doubting, then we begin to see that there's one thing we cannot doubt, and that is that we are thinking. What we're thinking about, we can be doubtful about that. But we can't be doubtful that we are thinking. And so it is that inner subjective experience that Descartes took as the source of truth. From that, he concluded there must have been a God who made him. And then he put his trust in that God that his senses were not created by God to fool him. And so he had some trust in sense data and contributed it importantly to the beginning of modern science, which depends on sense data. That runs through all of modern thought, that the only way we can arrive at truth is by beginning with the fact that we are thinking. Now, 
Aristotle, in his reconciliation of materialism and Platonism, would not have said that. He would have said that we are not immediately and directly conscious that we are thinking. Ask a little child whether he is thinking or not. He may not know what you're talking about. Ask him whether he sees the cookie there on the table, and he will tell you whether he sees the cookie or not. What we begin with for Aristotle is sense data. And then the analysis of the sense data by our intelligence. And then we begin to understand and ask ourselves, how do I know that? I know it. How do I know it? And then we discover our intelligence and our subjectivity. So in Aristotelian epistemology, self-knowledge is a way down the street. It's not where we begin. It's where we want to end. We want to know ourselves and all of reality. But we don't begin at that point. And that isn't a way to become certain about things. The materialist has it right when he says we have to be certain by going back to the senses. Cartesianism runs through all of modern philosophy, down to our own day. Unless you think about Descartes' point, you're really not going to understand modern thought. And it results in a dualism, a dualism between consciousness and reality, between mind and matter. And yet that has occupied us since the time of Descartes in the early 1600s. It has led, however, to a split in philosophy, and that split comes from this dualism and from the three epistemologies that I've already mentioned. Although modern philosophy generally begins with the idea of the cogito ergo sum, I think, therefore I am, it is split into two schools. On the continent of Europe, it went in the direction of idealism, saying that actually the material world does not exist, or if it exists, it is somehow a projection of the human mind. That a world outside the human mind, a reality outside the human mind, is inaccessible. On the other hand, in England, Great Britain, and consequently in the United States, and more and more in the cultures that the United States tends to dominate, there arose what is called empiricism. Empiricism is more like materialism. It begins with the cogito ergo sum, what I really know is my own thinking. But it then says that when I look at my thinking, what I find are sense impressions. And from the sense impressions, I have some idea that there is a material world 
other than my own mind. And yet, empiricism, because it confuses the sense data and the power of the intelligence to analyze that data, tends to say that intelligence and its abstract ideas are simply faint versions of our sensation. They do not give us the essence of things. They do not separate the essential from the non-essential, the irrelevant. And so empiricism, beginning especially with the English philosopher John Locke, tends always toward the materialistic. And it does not find the reconciliation that Aristotle attempted. The analytic philosophy that I mentioned early grew out of empiricism. And that is why it has reduced philosophy to the study of language. It really thinks that all we know are what we know from the sciences, the material world, and it attempts to explain the language that we use in the sciences. Continental philosophy, on the other hand, has had a more complicated history and has perhaps influenced theology more than has empiricism. That's rather odd for us here in the United States because philosophically we belong to the empirical tradition of England, and yet our theology has been more influenced by the continental theology. An example of this is the great theologian of Vatican II, Karl Rahner. Karl Rahner was a deep student of Thomas Aquinas, and to that extent, he was an Aristotelian in his epistemology. But he wanted to reconcile Aquinas with Immanuel Kant. Kant, who lived at the end of the 1700s, presented a very interesting view of empiricism and idealism. He tried to reconcile them. He knew that science produced by the empiricist had to be saved. And on the other hand, he was unwilling to give up the moral dimension of life, which seemed to be more developed by the idealist. But his reconciliation of the two was quite different than that of Aristotle and was definitely on idealist, the continentalist side. He reconciled them by saying that although we have sense data and science is based on sense data, our scientific theories are projected on sense data. They don't arise from the data itself but they come from the categories of the human mind, which are then imposed on the data. So that our scientific picture of the world is really a construction. It's a construction that is limited by the data that we have, and yet is it a construction. So it never tells us anything about the world in itself. The kind of truth that it can arrive at is not a truth about reality, but a truth of consistency. 
that we have a view of the world which is a consistent view of the world, logically consistent in itself and compatible with the data of senses, but not drawn from the data of senses. Karl Rahner then, this important theologian who has deeply affected the study of theology in our times, tried to reconcile Kant with Aquinas. He did that by saying, well, Aquinas admits that we know our own thought. We know our own thought only indirectly in knowing the object, and yet we know it. Consequently, it is possible to construct a philosophy that, like Descartes, begins with the subject. And having constructed a worldview, then correlates it with the known facts. For example, in his great book on the Christian faith, which in German is called the idea of the Christian faith, he tries to construct what the perfect religion would be on the basis of the subject. He says we are thinking, willing subjects. From the fact that we are thinking, willing subjects, he tries to show that there must be a God who is the horizon of all of our thought, and our life must have a certain character because we have freedom. Having drawn this picture, which is a construction, a construction of the ideal religion, he then asks, is there in fact historically, any religion that fits my ideal. And he tries to show that the Catholic faith fits the ideal that he has constructed. Now, I don't want to minimize the achievement of Karl Rahner. It was very great. But you can see from an Aristotelian point of view how open to criticism it is and how very close to the Platonic epistemology it is, because it finds truth not in everyday experience, but from some deep introspection. Now, you know, it's very difficult for the man in the street to come to this kind of introspection that Rahner is talking about. And my experience has been in talking to students of theology these days that they find it very difficult to make their mind fit the mind of Karl Rahner. They were not raised as Europeans. They never studied Kant. They don't know the whole tradition of continental thinking. We Americans are in the other school of empiricist thinking and of the kind of pragmatism that flows from that. To have to jump from one to the other is very difficult. In my opinion, therefore, a theology like that of Karl Rahner, although we can learn much from it, is not going to help us very much in interpreting theology to our culture. Now, of course, there's much more to be said for Rahner than I have said. And I'm sure that your teachers in theology are going to put up 
a defense of Rahner's thought. I'm only asking you to think about the basis of his thought. Is it the best way to bring our culture to theology and theology to our culture? To begin by talking about the subject. Wouldn't it be better to talk about the world in which we live that is sensible, tasteable, touchable? Isn't that a way that will be more effective? You need to know something about both ways because they have been influential. They're the work of believers of great genius who have given a lot of thought to this. But don't be sold simply on one way of proceeding and do have an appreciation uh, the advantage of the middle road, which the church itself has favored so much in our times, and as we see, favored in Fides et Ratio, an Aristotelian approach. Now, I think we can say this, that modern philosophy, by its emphasis on the subjective, has dealt with certain problems in philosophy which were perhaps neglected in the Middle Ages. The subjective, individualistic, historical aspect of reality was somewhat neglected by people like Albert the Great and St. Thomas and St. Bonaventure and Duns Scotus and the other great medieval philosophers and theologians. Their culture was one which was very objective in its approach. And so they looked for what is essential and universal and were not so concerned with the peculiar, the special, and the historical, or with what is known introspectively rather than objectively. It was not so much a concern it is a great concern to our culture and even to American culture because although we tend to materialism and we tend to pragmatism, yet we also are very psychological. We're very interested in the psychological aspects of things and the peculiar individualistic characteristics of different points of view. And modern philosophy with its Cartesian point of departure, has thought about those things more than the medievals did. And it's worthwhile our thinking about them. So I'm not saying that we should not look at these other philosophies. They're helpful in their own way. But are they basic? Are they the right way to get started? And I would plead that if we take the Aristotelian view that we begin with the senses, work up to an understanding of our interior selves and our subjective personalities and point of view. We are more able to communicate with others because we begin with what is common to us all. We all see the world of our senses. Furthermore, we are more able to deal with modern science. Modern science, which 
eventually tries to test everything by sense observation is something that becomes isolated from theology if that theology is stated only in spiritual terms. Even our greatest Catholic mystics have emphasized that. And let me finish with this point about St. Teresa of Avila. St. Teresa says she had had all kinds of mystical experiences and she wonderfully describes her interior life, all the things that went on within her soul, within her heart. And yet she says, I always take care to remember that Jesus is human, that he has a body, that he's a human being like us, the incarnation. Mysticism must never lose its relation to the incarnational. Now the same thing can be said about Christian theology. Christian theology is spiritual. It is mystical, as mystical as any of the views of Buddhism, Hinduism, Chinese Taoism. It is mystical. It believes that God is infinitely beyond our understanding. But it is incarnational. It brings us back to the body, to the senses, and it sees the senses in the service of the spirit. It doesn't divorce them. It sees the body serving the spirit and the spirit vitalizing and giving life to the body. That again is what John Paul II in Fidius at Ratio is telling us. The Pope's writings have been collected in a book called Theologies of the Body because he has put special stress on the Christian meaning of the body. He's the first Pope in the history of the Church to do that. I've tried to follow the same thing in a book called The Theologies of the Body humanist and Christian. I believe that that is for the future. A future theology must be a theology not only of the spirit, but a theology of the body. In doing that, we keep close to daily life. We keep close to the experience of the people. And yet, we are opened up to the highest kind of vision of the mystics. This, it seems to me, is the real future for theology. We hope you enjoyed listening to Catholic Thinkers. Please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate to help us keep this content free.